What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Guide Series podcast. We are on uh, episode ten, and we got a we got a big time guest for you guys uh, tonight. Um, we have Doctor Duck. He uh, he decided to come on, and we're we're more than happy and grateful to have him on the podcast. Doctor Duck, what's going on, man? Oh, not much. I don't know about the big time part, but I do appreciate you guys having me on, and and you know I have a lot of fun doing these podcasts and meeting new people, meeting y'all too for the first time. It's, it's been really fun. So uh, I appreciate y'all having us on for sure. No, not a problem. We'll, we'll get into some waterfall talk here in a minute, but got to introduce the uh, co-host, Sean Geary. Gearbox, what's going on, brother? Uh, nothing much. Same old, same old. I'm excited for this one. This is a lot of <laughs> we get from this guy right here. So, yeah. Y'all got me on the hot seat right now. So, yeah, yeah we got part of my take baby um well we'll just get into it uh right off the bat i mean you know you're you started water i guess talk about how you got into waterfowling was it a family thing or was it you know how'd you how'd you start getting into it well i you know i i left i left i left the hospital with a shotgun in my hand so um you know when i was i started out at a very early age my, my grandfather um he did it. He was, he was the hunter of our family. My dad was a, he worked at the uh, Kelly Springfield, which made tires. And so my mom was a stay home mom. So my dad, he worked every hour he could overtime and everything to provide for us and three boys, you know, so uh, didn't really get to hunt with him very much, but my grandfather was kind of, he was a farmer. And, and uh, so it allowed us to, and of course he only allowed, he only, he only lived about 150 yards from us. So we, it was like a cattle trail straight from my house to his house. Cause we, after school, we was going to his house, straight to his house. We'd be there in the dark and on weekends. I just, we live with him and we, we squirrel hunting and coon hunting and it's growing up. And then of course, when we went a little, little later in life, you know, we got into hog hunting for a little while. And then, you know, I went on my first waterfowl hunt and I just, it just, it just brought back those Friday night lights feelings, you know, played football in high school and, just the excitement of it, of it and the joy of it and the, the challenge of it as well, you know, calling the ducks and trying to learn how to, to do everything. So I didn't, I didn't have a mentor really in waterfowl at all, to be honest with you. Um, but, but I knew hunting, um, you know, and I knew the ethics of it pretty much. And mm-hmm. just, I just kept grinding and kept learning and, 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 you know, uh, reading here and watching there and, I'd hunt with somebody, you know, and I still do it today. I try to learn as much as I can. I don't care if the guy's 19 years old or 100 years old. If I'm hunting with somebody, I'm, you know, I'm still trying to learn today just like everybody else. Yeah, just a sponge, just trying to take everything in because everyone has, you know, everyone has a different tactic or or something that you didn't know, whether you're deer hunting, turkey hunting, duck hunting, hog hunting, you know, someone, someone always, someone always has a little special ingredient that, you know, that's secret to them and whatnot. So, yeah. Were you born and born and raised in Texas? I was born here in Tyler, Texas. Now I was raised up in Brownsboro, which is about 60 miles east of, of, of Tyler. Uh, and then, of course, you know, as I got older in life, I, you know, when I get, I just moved here to Tyler. So, uh, you know, I got a brother that lives in Alabama. The other one lives in Brownsboro. My parents still live in uh, Brownsboro area. So, um, so we just we stayed next to home. So, um, so it's it's been a blessing here. So. But I mean, far as waterfowl goes here in Texas, as you guys know, it's probably not a place you're really going to travel to, to go on a waterfowl hunt. It's probably not on anybody's bucket list to come to, you know, we're just not known for waterfowl. Uh-huh. But we got passionate guys in this area who waterfowl hunt. And uh, sometimes we got more duck hunters than we got ducks. So, right. but, but to me, that's a good thing. Uh, I know a lot of guys shine and frown on it, but I feel like, you know, the thing, the message that we try to send is the more the merrier, you know, mm-hmm. not every day is going to be the wham, bam, kill them day, you know, and, you know, and then also with that, you know, we, we hunt a lot of public ground, 95% what we do is on public ground. And, and so we, we try to stay true to those roots and, and the values of that and what goes into it, because I feel like that's where, that's where I originated from. And that's where 95% of our waterfowl hunters are. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I just I like staying true to those roots as a waterfowl hunter. Yeah, I understand. We'll get Gary. We'll, I know Gary has a bunch of questions probably about public land because he okay. uh, up in New York he hunts a bunch of public land as well. But I want to I don't want to skip too far ahead. So you know, going from hunting, 
you know, hunting waterfowl in Texas and it not may, maybe it's probably like, it's probably like here. It's probably like our home, like here, you know, you're mm-hmm. more so going for a good breakfast in the blind and a couple good stories. And you might yeah. be, you might be lucky to see a duck. I mean, they don't, they don't call yeah. it like, they don't call it like not a duck for a reason. So, right. you know, um, so it's probably kind of similar, but um, you know, how did you get into like, I, uh, how did you, I'm trying to word this right. How did, how did you get into like start traveling and start, you know, were you just like, Hey, I love duck hunting, but we got to start going here and we got to start branching out. You know, when did, when did that happen? I guess not what age, but you know, after how many years? I would say it was pretty early in my career that we started venturing out some, you know, the first few years, just trying to learn and navigate waterfowl hunt period. I mean, I, I mean, when I tell you, I started out learning on my own, I had old Buck Garner call cd in my truck riding around at these riding around doing service calls and air conditioning and, and, and uh learning how to blow a duck call mimicking everything he's done so uh so that part you know going to that part getting my first boat and just going out on the water and hanging out there and doing scouting as much as possible you know to, to have a little bit of success that you can have around here and so uh I just, I just fell in love with all the aspects of it. So uh, that, to me, uh, that's, that's how, you know, the love, the the love of the sport and love of that. That's, that's how we got, I got really started, I guess. Uh, I mean, once it gets in your blood and I I seen a lot of guys jump from deer hunting to waterfowl hunting in a heartbeat. I just think they go that first time. I think they truly understand it. Well, that's, that's Gary right there in a nutshell. I took him and we went to college together. I took him on our, on his first duck hunt and, uh he has not been deer hunting that that much at all yeah since, since then no it's hard to get to the tree stand if there's ducks here and you know i'm up in buffalo and uh, we hunt on a lot of public here but we also get have, we have a lot of permissions to so a lot of farmers that are great yeah. nobody here really goose hunts goose hunting is big you know for us our guys here we love it hunt them in the corn over water whatever yeah um but I, I mean, nowadays, come November, it's hard to get me in a deer stand. Very hard, unless it's frozen up over late December. So I'm not getting in a deer stand. I'm gonna go duck. Right. Hey, you know, and that's that's a lot of our stories that I've seen over the years. It's just I think the passion there for waterfowl is growing, and and you know, here in Texas, you know, it's just it's hard to get permission. It really is. Either you gotta you gotta be on a lease and, and pay a lot of money to do that. Or you know our public grounds consist of open water and lakes here pretty much, and so um, a lot of guys got a lot of boats around here, and, and that's the only access we got. So the days of knocking on the door um, and getting permission is gone here in Texas. Pretty much, if you get a toenail across somebody's property, they, they're calling you know the game board on you. So you have to be really careful. So that's right. uh, that that adds another challenge to us down here in, in the south. Is you know, it's not only Texas, but most of your southern states if, if is following suit. So, right. Uh, so, my my, if you do get permission, just my advice to anybody: just make sure you take care of the farmer. Make sure you pick up all the shells like we do when we head up north, because the the attitude from the north and the south is just totally different. Yeah, no, it def it definitely is. Um, I got one for you. How did you know? So you started duck hunting. You started traveling out what at what point got you to where you are now as far as where like how almost how did you go from Dennis Loser to Dr. Duck you know you probably went to Arkansas you probably started going these states having some success putting the work in like you do you know was it was it having a media guy in the background and kind of getting footage uh so people uh, can see it or no that's you know my buddy started doing that they they nicknamed me that um and actually it originated in texas pretty much right before we started really traveling pretty hard um you know it goes back to where i went you know i spent a lot of time out on the lake scouting and so you know just take billy for instance you know he had a full-time job he's working monday through friday you know me being in the air conditioning business allowed me to fluctuate my schedule some and then plus i have some great guys working for me uh so i would take time out during the week uh, go scout these lakes and you know in, in the techniques that I use for scouting is you know we didn't I didn't blow out the birds running my boat in there so you know I'd, I'd be out there watching if I find a, a good group you know I spend a lot of time just watching them and then just not seeing them but watching them watching them how they fly in how they fly out 
Um, you know, I got it so technical to where uh, if I knew where, if I had five guys going, I knew where every one of them would stand. I knew which way we was going to be facing. I always checked the weather that day compared to the next day, the day we're going to be hunting. Uh, you know, with the technology now, you can get down to detail. And so by doing that, and we was having a lot of success where a lot of guys here in Texas wasn't. And, and, and you know, and so it just kind of grew. And so all my friends, they just nicknamed me that because the way the way I handled my, you know, the way I took it seriously. Uh-huh. And, uh, so they just nicknamed me Dr. Duck. And then one guy said it and the next guy said it. And eventually it just kind of, it grew like wildfire. So I got uh, you. That's, that's pretty that's pretty cool because I, I told I was you know once you committed to come on the podcast I told Gary you know and just from listening to your guys' podcast uh, I'm like you know I don't think he's a very like tech savvy kind of guy but how does he have the freaking coolest name on Instagram right now like <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because all my buddies they they came up with it I can't take credit for that in a long time I just laughed about it and and honestly just and when you know we got to where when I was I was we hunting a lot and Billy one day honestly came up and says because I I'd have service calls would come in while while I'm duck hunting Uh or or a contractor would call me while I'm duck hunting well every freaking time it happened I'd have my phone on my ear and so I'm trying to hold my hold my phone on my shoulder with my ear talking the same time I have these ducks flying in and you know I would shoot and normally nine times out of ten my my water my phone would go in the water and so Billy, I lose all my pictures. Back then, it wouldn't really know. You didn't have the iCloud. You'd lose everything. Right. He says, "Hey, what you need to do?" I didn't even know what Instagram was, and I'm telling you the truth. He said, "You need to start an Instagram, and that way you won't lose all you. You download a couple of pictures and save them." And so he talked me into it. Actually, he set it up for me, and and uh, and that and it just grew from that. So uh, and I and now you know if you do lose your phone, it's you know, it's backed up in the cloud. So now we're in some kind of cloud. So it'll download back. So hey, like, I, hear, I hear you. I don't know how them clouds work. And I'm, I'm 27 yeah. years old and I'm still trying to figure out how the clouds work. Right. If, right. I, if I drop my, I dropped my phone in the lake fishing the other day or not the other day, probably like a couple months ago and everything gone. I didn't have a cloud. Everyone's asking me, well, don't you have a cloud? And I'm like, ah, mm, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't know how that all that it was. It, it was terrible back in the day. You only didn't lose your pictures, but you also lost all your phone numbers. Contacts is the word. Well, it's, that's, kind of, that's kind of that's kind of a blessing and a curse, though. If you have to restart yeah. at first, you're like, "Damn it, that sucks." But <laughs> but you kind of get to a point where you're like, "Okay, I can kind of do without that guy calling me anymore." And that guy, you know, yeah. So it's kind uh-huh. of a blessing and a curse. More more so a curse than anything. Um, <laughs> so, Gary, you got one. I know. I know. Yeah, you got I just want. I just want to ask uh, because I told my buddies I was like, oh, I got Doctor Duck coming on, and they follow you on Instagram, and they've seen you on YouTube's a big thing now. Nobody watches oh, yeah. anymore. Everyone's watching YouTube videos and stuff. So right. they you. you. You had a couple different videos, several with like uh, with Sika. How did that right. come about? Did they contact you and they wanted to hear your story and listen uh, to say, or how did that come about? Yes, sir. They they did. They reached out to me, and honestly. Uh, they had a, a, a media company, which was Canada Outdoors, reach out to me from uh, California, and I thought it was a joke. And, uh, <laughs> I, and they sent me an email, and you know, and I ignored it for. And being a tell you, I probably ignored it for six months or more, and because I thought it was, you know, here I am from Texas, and here they are from California. And I'm just saying, you know, it kind of just raised some eyebrows and. But anyways, he sent me a second email and just says, hey, we're really serious. We would like to do a video with you. We'd, we'd like to come in and, and, and see how you do things. And, and, and they, you know, they've been following me for a while. And so Billy, at the time, worked for a, a, our local paper. And also, he was a director over a TV channel and all that kind of stuff. And honestly, I just forwarded him the email because I didn't want to call him. I forwarded him the email and I said, because I knew he had the connections. I said, hey, man, will you do a background check and see if this is legit or is somebody trying to get me in trouble or, or what? Because you, right. you got to do these things. Uh-huh. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. And so about 30 minutes later, he calls me back and says, hey, that's their, their legit company and they do this and they do that. Just named off a few things. You need to call them and see what they want. So I called them and I talked to them and, and you know, and of course, Billy, we both talked to them and 
course, first thing we said, hey, we're a bunch of country old boys. We can't afford to to, to fly you guys in and pay you guys because they said, oh, no, it's all covered. And we'll, we'll, you know, and sick of, you know, they they got us the gear and we shot that first video of Dr. Duck. And, and um, of course, we did some more projects for them because it went really well and it just grew from there. And uh, I think the reason why, and if you go not saying anything wrong or anything bad about any other shows, it's just that if you do watch them, it's, it's normally – a guy hunting on somebody else's property or somebody's lodge and all that kind of stuff. And I, I told them straight up, I said, look, I'm, I'm a public land guy. I want to stay true to my roots. I think, uh, cause honestly, we a public land guy is just not represented very well in our waterfowl industry for a long, long, long time. And the, and the struggles that we have to go through, um, you know, those stories are not told and, you know, and, coming from public land guy it sometimes it does get frustrating to see a lot of guys have success on private land and we're over here we're we're lucky if we we get to shoot two or three birds sometimes you know and that's just and that's that's a hard part of it uh but also i value those times because when you do have those great hunts it really makes you appreciate it and i think you appreciate it more and more and more as a public land guy but to follow up with that is that we just wouldn't represent it very well and so I want to stay true to that. And I think that's another thing that helped us uh, grow a little bit. But, uh, I, I, you know, to me, the ultimate hunt is on public land. I, I, you know, nothing against private. Those guys have their work cut out for them. They have their season during, during the summer. They're raising food pots and stuff like that. And I get it. Uh, but, you know, the public, and it's, it's a great shoot. But when you do it right on public ground and you put your work in and you do that grind like we have to, sleeping in the holes, so the scouting that goes to it, the miles that we put into it, and when you have that just that little taste of success, there's nothing compares to it. Nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's a hunt to me. It's not a shoot. It's a hunt. Uh, and so I, I just think it raises that duck level experience to the max. And like I said, it – it reminds me of Friday Night Lights, and it's just that part when you have that success, that's how much passion it is for me. Yeah, I feel the same exact way, the exact same thing that you just said. Like, I love – and you see, like, I post a picture on Instagram, and it's on public land where we did really good because there were 40 days before that where we killed one or two birds or whatever. Right. And don't get me wrong, if there's, you know, 500 birds in a field, ducks or geese in a cut cornfield, and it's privately owned, we're going to go ask for permission. Right. We take what we get up here in New York as it is anyway. Right. We get, I mean, we do get them on public land. We, we get right. them on public land all the time. And yeah, it's a lot. All the public land's a little bit far from us. It's our drive here or sleep. Me and Hunter have slept in his truck. I don't know how many times. It is just better. It's like the whole experience. And then one aspect of it that I do like that I feel like a lot of people shy away from is seeing all the trucks there, seeing all the guys there that are hunting that same piece of property, whatever you're on, 10,000 acres or something, 5,000 or even smaller, and there's seven, eight trucks there, whatever it is. I like the competition. I just like that. I, I think I agree with you. I think it raises an element. I, you know, to me, that it, what frustrates me the most is other guys trying to run other guys off or they're fighting for the whole and it shouldn't be like that. Hey, I, I like the competition. It doesn't really, you know, when I go to Arkansas, I'll take that for an example. I'll have a guy or two or three guys or two or three groups right up against me within 50 yards. I, I, I you know, there's sometimes I win and I lose, but to me, that's the fun part about it. It's not, it's not only the hunt. Hey, it's a duck calling contest out here, you know, and I want to win. And the only way you can win is have that neighbor to you and, you know, and not shoot the swings, be respectful when they're over their spot. Let up on the calls, and then when they're over your spot, hey, you, you hammer down. You do everything you can to get those ducks to set in your hole. And it's that competition factor, and when it's respected all the way around. And, you know, and I've been back to the boat ramp with my head, my, with my chest stuck out like, hey, I won today. But i also been back going over shaking the guy's hand and say, hey, man, awesome job. And that's all a part about it. And I just I, – and that's the thing we try to do. I want our community to be, to be more like that, and we need to be more like that because, honestly – I feel like we need more waterfowl hunters out there to represent what we love. So uh, that's one of the respect things that I like to see in our industry grow even more. And I think it has over the years. And I just think we need to keep talking about it, 
so more people appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, like us as a waterfowl community going and going and hunting public land, you're you're almost the underdog. You, you everything is going against you at that point when right. you put when you when you pull up to that ramp, everything is going against you, whether right. whether whether it's comp, friendly competition or or you know the water's too low or stu, you know climate changes whatever it is you're always you know you're always the underdog and that's uh, i think gary and i kind of agree with you on every everything that you said you know we went and, to and not only not only that it's the pressure that that place has taken the days before you even got there. correct correct you know public ground there's no secrets anymore i don't feel like there is it's it's you know somebody's probably hunted it the next the day before you did and somebody else hunted it the day before they did you know you're following up on the same spot and you're trying to have success and that's one of those things it's just it adds another element to that, and it, it may it just adds that respect factor even higher uh, when when it happens. And you know, n like I said, there's nothing against the, the the private land guys. Like I said, they have their own battles, you know, uh, each and every year. And you know, most of theirs is probably in the summertime, making sure the crops are up, levees are done right. Uh, you know, they probably have beaver problems. There's there's a whole bunch of situations. They have a different battle than what we have. Right. But I think the competition level for us is superior than anything. And, and, and the camaraderie that we have, you know, or the opportunity that we have is, is very special. Because if I go back to last year, for an example, the opening weekend of Arkansas and the same duck hole, we had like five or six different states represented in the whole United States. And to me, that's, that's one of the things, never met some of them until the end. And to have that opportunity to hunt with a bunch of guys, and hey, we didn't kill a lot of ducks. I think we killed maybe five, six, or seven. I can't even remember. But I do remember shaking hands, blowing the duck calls with those guys, and we actually had a great time. And, and so we had a group from South Dakota, had a group from Georgia, Alabama, uh, of course, us from Texas. And, of course, we had a couple of Arkansas boys in there. And I just, hey, watched, I just watched that video today. Uh, I, I watched that video today. Is it true? Did, did, did Billy actually run a mile? When you asked him, Billy, how can you run a like? You, you said something like, "Can you run a mile?" And he, and he, and he goes, "He goes uh, seven minutes." But is that with waders or without waders? And you go, "No, nah, you're not gonna need waders. You just need shorts and t-shirt. That water ain't too cold, but you're gonna have to cross it. You're, you're gonna have to cross the levee. It's about waist high, but you got it." <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he didn't. He didn't have to do that. Fortunately, uh, we we ended up front of the line pretty much. I think we was in second or third place, and. So we, we were, we, he didn't have to do that. Thank goodness. But, but if you're asking me if I was serious on making him do it, yes, I was serious. So. <laughs> awesome. If you're going to, if you're going to train like he does, you know, he does. Uh, I don't know what you call it. That, uh, uh, he Cro works out. All the time. Cro you can do CrossFit. Yeah. CrossFit. yeah I was going to, we're going to put his CrossFit abilities to the test. So to make awesome. a, a CrossFit course for him. So, uh, we definitely, if I needed it, he, he would have done it. He would have done it for the team. Uh, you know, I'd have brought his waders in and we just throwed him in the boat, dried him off of the town, and he put his warm clothes on. We started out, but whatever, it is, that's part of part of the fun to me. So just make uh, sure he, he puts too. just make sure he puts his Crocs in four by four mode when he's going down the levee. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> hey, we go down there to pay less by a cheap pair of tennis shoes, you know, one time wire for him if we have to, whatever it takes. You that's, know? that's awesome. That's sweet. So it's always a, Always a game plan. Always. Let's talk about uh, – so, like, we'll get into Arkansas in a minute because I, I, I guide there. I've been hunting there for years now, um, and it's an awesome time. We'll get to Arkansas. We'll kind of end it. Let's end it with Arkansas because we can talk about Arkansas for a long time. But what are some of your other places, you know, if you're not going to hunt timber, which is probably not what you want to do, but if you're going to hunt somewhere else. I know you went to Washington you obviously mm -hmm. been to Dakotas. I talked to you last year we, when Gary and I went up to North Dakota. I think you guys were right. in South Dakota. Um, talk right. about some other states that you either have luck in or that you really liked, uh, regardless of the hunting. Well, I, you know, of course, in the North and South Dakotas, you know, especially uh, any, any type of waterfowler, uh, you know, it gives you an opportunity to go up there and get a lot of uneducated birds and, um, and you can have a lot of great success. And, you know, just like you guys do up there, it's kind of like public ground. It's first come, first serve, knocking on the door, uh, you know. So, uh, you know, been beat to a few times in North Dakota, knock on, say, hey, you missed it by 30 minutes. I already got somebody else hunting. And that's usually the only time they tell you no. But it, it kind of relates to the, the public ground aspect of it, even though you are hunting private farmers. 
but you got a lot of other guys riding around with binoculars too, look, scouting and looking in those fields. But of course, North and South Dakota are on my top list. Now Washington's probably, you know, that's my duck vacation. Uh, Mr. Pine has been, you know, I met him a few years back doing working with the the guys at Sitka and met him and me and him developed a, a really close friendship. And uh, his place is, you know, it's a private deal and, and the way he manages it is unbelievable. And the the water the waterfowl and the numbers he was he holds there is just tremendous. Yeah. On four thousand acres, you would you couldn't believe the amount of waterfowl he can hold on four thousand acres. Wow. He, he's one of those guys I got a lot of respect for the way he manages it and takes care of it. So Washington's a, a big check mark for me. Uh, of course, you know Texas Texas is 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 home my home state and hunt here in my home state and and actually learn how to because I tell guys all the time if you if you can kill waterfowl in Texas. You can go anywhere in the country and kill waterfowl. Because when they get here, they're so well educated, and I call them the Ivy League ducks. Mm. When they get here, an Ivy League duck, they they have the the education that you wouldn't believe. So Texas is right there with it, and then of course you know our surrounding states, Oklahoma and Arkansas. Uh, it's been been a blessing for me. Uh, you know, of course, uh, you know traveling. You know, haven't traveled too many other states than other than that but those are my top ones i got you we're actually because we went to north dakota last year and it was we, we actually recorded a, a podcast episode last week about kind of our experience we're telling kind of our experience our story of how we freelanced it because they're not there's not a lot of ways out there resources out there to tell you like exactly how to freelance it because there's not a certain way to freelance anything but there's just guys who have done it so we're kind of explaining right. our story if you guys missed it go check it out it's last week's episode uh and we recorded a, a part two to it as well um but uh we're actually going to kansas here in november so we're pretty excited for that yeah we're going to try we're going to hit kansas once this year as well and waterfowl it's, it's known for waterfowl as well and so we're excited to do that and I think we're going to try to catch it as we're coming. I think we're going to try to catch it as we're coming back from the Dakotas. So we gotten blessed this year. We we did draw our South Dakota tag because you got to put in for that state. Right. So we get blessed for that. And so, but we're going to hit North Dakota first because we was planning on going into Canada this year. Of course, with the COVID thing and everything locked down, uh, we're not able to do that. So we're going to just change that schedule down to hit North Dakota, drop down, hit South Dakota, and maybe catch Kansas on the way home. So. Uh, we're, we're, we're looking forward to, to, to it. Uh, and of course we'll hit the, we'll hit the road about the end of October, maybe the first of November. That's sweet. Well, we're, we're looking forward to it just as waterfowl is. I mean, it, it cannot come soon enough. Teal season opens up this weekend here in Tennessee. So, you know, we'll be fighting the mosquitoes and the heat doing that. And, but, but enjoying our, but enjoying our, and the snakes. Yeah. If I see a snake, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting in the boat. I'm, I'm ter perpetually terrified of snakes. Um, right. let's talk about, uh, North or not North Dakota. Uh, let's talk about Arkansas, you know, okay. you do a lot of scouting there and you do, and you guys talk about it a lot in your podcast. So I don't kind of want to be like a dead drum, but, no, but on your, on your video that I watched of opening kind of opening day, uh, last year, you know, you guys were there on Wednesday, I think Wednesday, Wednesday. Yes, sir. How many mm -hmm. days, you know, if you're going to go scout a WMA, and it, and it depends on what where you're coming from. Like you just said, you're coming from North Dakota, you're going to Kansas. How many yeah. days do you do you like to put into scouting a WMA or one spot before you actually pull the trigger and hunt it? Man, I to be honest with you, three days is cutting it close before opening day. I, you know, if I'm going to travel to a state, I mean, just like when we go to North Dakota, I mean, you know, once we get there, I check off the first three days of scouting. Uh, so same thing in Arkansas. Um, you know, and the way I scout too, sometimes it takes a little longer. I, I try not to be that guy that drives the boat and runs all the ducks out. Right. So even even in Arkansas, I'll you know I'll stay if I'm in the boat, I stay close to the levees and I do a lot of listening. And then, and then also uh, we get out and I do a lot of walking. Um, I figured if you stay in those, those type of travel areas, um, you, you're not so acceptable to flush ducks out. Right. They're already nervous as it is. And then of course, whatever you do to make, you know, I don't want to mess up everybody else's hunting too. So uh, to me, I'm very careful on scouting. So it takes me a little longer to do that. Um, so, but to find a number of birds, what I'm looking for, a lot of times I'll take Arkansas, for instance, I'll start down south at some of those WMAs down there or refuges or whatever. 
and I'm looking for numbers. You know, I've been there quite a few times, but if you're a new guy, you just need to take one particular area like I did, scout that area, maybe hunt that for a season or two, then move around as you're hunting it and hunt other areas uh, when you're in the state. Maybe not finding the ducks, but just getting familiar with the WMAs because uh, each WMA over there has different rules and regulations. So you need to pull up each one of them individually and be sure you learn each and every one of them. Uh, usually the times are, are close to the same, but some of them you can hunt just certain days. And then of course, all of them you gotta be off by noon. So there's different WMAs, different rules. So not all of them follow the same suit. So make sure you do that. But you know, if you're hunting one and, and you wanna take a day off and then go look at another one and you know, just kind of show up, see what the boat ramp's about. Maybe, maybe walk in from the boat ramp, just kind of walk the, the, the water's edge and just kind of, kind of learn things as, as much as you can. And each time you go and each year, you start to venture out a little more because you're not going to learn it unless you've got an inside track. So like a guy like me, I had to learn on my own for a while. And that's how I learned Arkansas is, and I'm not the best at Arkansas. There's guys over there that's unbelievably uh, very smart at waterfowl hunting. You know, they watch the river, they watch the, the, the the river level uh, they know where to be on a certain wind they know and and they know what side to be on what wma what side to be on when the wind's this when it's this it's just it's they got it down they've been there all their life they hunted with their granddad they hunted with their dad and they just got the knowledge down and, and kudos to those guys because uh, it, it still it takes us a long time to learn that as well but right. for a green guy like me going over there i had to learn the hard way so uh, still learning and uh, and it's still difficult because it's a lot of water over there right. you got big rivers a lot of river systems a lot of flooding and it's it's a very difficult place to go and try to learn waterfowl yep. but it has the best scenery if you're going for green timber uh, like I said I've been to numerous different states and I'm just telling you uh, you know that white river has the prettiest timber I've ever seen in my life mm-hmm just and sometimes we go in there we, we we might not even shoot a duck we're hugging up against a tree we see something up or we're just calling at them so it's just it's just a it's unbelievable how, how awesome it is talk about and i'll, I'll get away from arkansas just for a minute because i had great do you have a question before i go into this yeah i do just a, a little bit of a well it might not be a quick answer but one thing that i'm dying to know uh, from somebody like you traveled around the country you've been hunting your whole life hunting waterfowl especially but in the last let's just say 10 years we don't have to go back too far have you seen a difference in the numbers of ducks coming down from canada to arkansas to texas i have to be honest with you here in texas if i look back 10 years i don't feel like we have the ducks or the big ducks or the greenheads that we had 10 years ago as we do today and I, I don't think, and it's not because we got less ducks. I think we probably got more ducks if you if you put the numbers to it. Wow, really? Okay. According to everybody's waterfowl count, if you go by DU's waterfowl count, Delta waterfowl's water count, the numbers the numbers are up more than ever since the 1955. Uh, but the problem is, is we're just not having the weather to get them down. And and a lot of things is, you know, everybody talks about the freeze line, and it's not the freeze line. Uh, when it comes to a mallard duck, you got to have snow on the ground too. Uh, their food sources out in the field, mainly when we're hunting them up north, that dope dry fields, and you know the rivers, they have to freeze up as well, because um, those those mallard ducks, as long as they can get to a field and they have a water source, they're not coming down here. They're a lazy bird. They're not going to fly any further than they have to. And so, to me, when I when I go to North Dakota, South Dakota, I'm watching for the snow line more than I am watching for the freeze line. And uh, it, it takes four or five inches of snow to get those birds to really move because they're a gritty bird. They, they're, they're a tough bird and they don't want to be down south any more than more or less than I do sometimes when it's hot. So, uh, so you just got to you got to watch that snow line. That, I think that's more important than it is the freeze line most of the time. Talk, talking about ducks, it, it, talk about how uh, how reading ducks, maybe to someone new into waterfowl, you know, talk about how reading ducks is, is, is so important on not just what they're doing, but where they're at. If you find a hole, you know, it may, or maybe like me, because I, I hunt, I hunt timber, but for where yeah. we guide, I hunt a lot of fields more consistently, you know, and, you know, you come up to a field that one, one of the fields we have, and there's, you know, hopefully there's, let's just say there's eight or 900 in there. It's a good field, but the wind's blowing, you know, 25 mile an hour out of the north. 
and right. they're on they're on they're tucked up against the south levee you know they're right. they're there they may not want to be in that field but they're there for a reason trying to get out of that wind if that wind's not right. there tomorrow those right. ducks may not be in that same place so talk about how important it is not just to read ducks when you're calling them but when when they're actually in a spot to trying to take like a mental note okay what's the climate what's the wind doing why are those why are these birds there what's what's their reasoning why they're there yeah, the, the, the main thing is, too, you just said it, the main thing is they're out of the wind, and plus they got a food source there. So that's the reason they're there. And like you said, they might not land in that that particular area, and it makes it very difficult when you know when you got that scenario makes it different. So basically uh, what I would do is uh, I'm looking for a highway. and So I'm scouting where they're flying to, to there, and where they're flying from. So that highway there is very critical because if you do sit up there and they're not working there, you know, if you sit up in that highway and you, and you put your spread out and let them see you and you, they can hear you vocally, um, you know, you, you have a better chance of, of creating a, a good success hunt. So watch the highways as they fly in and fly out. They're going to tell you, going back to the roost, flying to the food source, a lot of that is how we scout a lot of times. Uh, normally when I scout a hole too is ducks is going to tell you how confident they are uh, by flying in and out of the hole. And you'll notice uh, – Early in the season, or you know, especially if you get a hole that maybe hadn't even been hunted any before, they dive straight in. There's no hesitation. There's nothing. They drive straight in. And then if you get a hole that's been hunted before, or you can just tell those birds are educated, they don't fly straight in. They still, even though those are live ducks down there, they're making three or four circles. And sometimes they pick up, they'll dive down, they pick back up, and they fly around again. And those ducks right there are educated ducks. So you're gonna have your hands full when you hunt those birds but you know what you're dealing with when you're going in. So uh, those are the things that I look for when I'm scouting. I'm looking, how confident are the ducks are in the hole? Are they dive bombing it, not even checking up? Or if they are checking up, like, okay, this is what we got to do here to make, make them a little bit more confident. And what I mean by that is uh, figure out what they like on the call. You got to create a situation where they do have the confidence coming in. Probably a lot of movement, probably two or three jerk strings going. Uh, you know, watch the wing beat. Uh, I, I'm very, very, very keen on watching how they fly. If they're if they're selling in and they keep selling in, keep doing what you're doing, the fair call, whatever. But if you see that wing starts picking up and they start picking up altitude, then you probably lost those ducks. So, and then that next volley comes in, you've got to just learn, hey, I did this wrong last time. We got to do something different this time. So, learning on the fly is is the key deal. Watching the ducks uh, and watching how they work is very, very, very key. Yeah, so that's all. That's all really good points there, and especially yeah. call, calling ducks, watching their watching their wings and the wing speed, their wing tips, what they're doing. Yeah. You know, cause if they if they bank if they bank on something that and they liked it, that means yeah. that, that might just be one of those. It's just like fishing. You throw yeah. a spinnerbait out there, and they're hammering a spinnerbait. Right. Don't don't throw don't throw something that doesn't mimic a spinnerbait because they're ch they're chasing shad or something. I'm getting into fishing because I'm on a fishing mode right now. I got a yeah, I got a fishing tournament Saturday and I am just juiced for it. So I'm in fishing mode right now. But you make really good points of what what you're saying. Do watch and read those birds and what they're doing, and and figure out because on a day to day basis that that stuff will change. That's right. It will change. They're very skeptical. And don't you know? And another thing too is when they are circling. Don't give up on them so quick and start blowing harder and harder. But, you know, and, you know, you always watch the lead bird. And, of course, you, you like to watch that lead bird. But if you start losing that lead bird, you know, don't give up so quick. Because if you can turn that last bird back around, guess what? He's going to bring the rest of the flock back with him. So just don't blow them out of the hole. And, uh, you know, of course, the thing about waterfowl, too, and people need to realize is you're going to make more mistakes than you do things right. And, and, and you're going to lose more ducks by overcalling, undercalling, whatever, getting busted, looking up, doing whatever. You're going to lose more ducks. But that's the challenge of it. And don't get frustrated to keep trying. I, I, I've hunted with guys before or talked to guys before. It's like they make too many mistakes, and then they, they freeze up, and they just they don't know what to do. Keep making mistakes because I'm telling you, that's the only way you're going to learn. And, uh, and that's the thing I, you know, I talk about most of the time. I make more mistakes than anybody. And look, I just go out there and have a good fun time doing it and relaxing. And hey, we make a mistake, you know, we just we wait for the next volley and we try to do better on it. And that's the thing about waterfowl. It's you got a bunch of opportunities there to correct your mistakes. So. I remember I remember hunting with Gary the first couple of times and we had a timber hole that we I first took him to in New York 
and you know birds were actually because they hadn't been hunted i don't think that hole has ever been hunted gary you agree with me probably never and probably ever. never but <laughs> no we, those are good those are good it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a good hole but there were some birds that didn't do it and i would always just look at them and be like gary those aren't our birds don't worry about it those those right. are ours. Those, those, that's those, right those, those ain't our birds so yeah it, and you know it, it, to me that's half the fun it's more mm -hmm. than half the fun. scouting to me that's the thing with me that was i had just as much fun or if not more fun scouting for the waterfowl just being outside then it actually time to hunt them and then when it was time to hunt them it's just trying to figure them out and that's that's half the fun too and that a lot of these young guys just they put too much pressure on themselves for that kill shot and and you know and when when you get in that and you start worrying about the numbers then you forget what what you're there for you know so uh, that's the thing we talk about a lot don't worry about the numbers uh, go out there scout have fun and just do the best you can and, and you'll eventually learn more and more each day and, and, and you'll learn from your mistakes. But man, that's, that's half the fun for me. I'm telling you, I, I, that's my favorite part scouting, watching and reading those birds. It, it is for us too. Uh, Real tree camo. I got to bring this up because okay. you, you're with real tree camo right now and yes. bottom, bottom land. Okay. For many, many years has just been the original go-to camo. But when they right. came out, when they came out with this new timber pattern, I think half the waterfowl industry said, oh, my God, look at this pattern. Right. And then, right. I mean, there's a couple of pictures of you guys, you know, like you're obviously your, your gun, your guns are uh, timber yeah. or uh, what's the name of it? Real tree timber. And timber, then uh, yeah. obviously all, you know, you guys are head to toe in real tree and you got tucked yeah. up against a tree, dude. And you were gone. Like wasn't even yeah. close. Like you were gone. Talk about that pattern real quick. And because I, I don't own any of it, but it is sweet. It is sweet. It's one of my favorite patterns I've ever seen. Uh, I, I told Bill Jordan himself, he, he knocked it out of the park when he, when he made that pattern. And he made it specifically for waterfowl. And if you'll notice, I told him that he finally, because we always, as duck hunters, we always usually had to wear the deer hunters camouflage. And so when he come out with this, if you'll notice, even Michael Waddell himself is wearing the timber pattern. And it's made for waterfowl. Now they're wearing our pattern. And so it, to me, he knocked it out of the park. It's probably one of my favorite patterns of all time. And, and he, he done a tremendous job. And, and, you know, and when you're hunting Ivy league ducks, you need to blend in because they're, they're not looking for everything that you've gotten right. They're looking for one thing wrong. And if you're, if your camo is a little bit discolored, uh, that's, that's it. They see it. They're gone. And he done a great job of blending us in. And it, and it, it to me, it will, increase your odds on success because we all we all know uh concealment is the main key when you're hunting mallards you got to be concealed and concealed tight so yeah most of the time it's not going to be that one decoy that like tipped over when you threw it out early in the morning you didn't realize it most of the time it's going to be <laughs> you you are going to be the problem yeah yeah you're the problem nine nine times out of ten it's somebody that got looked up at the wrong time or he or he he, he moved around a little bit too much and Maybe not enough to flare them out, but it's just enough to, for them to lose confidence. And and so real tree allows you to that pattern to me allows you to a little bit of versatility to to move around and not go too crazy. But it does it does not punish you so hard when you do do something wrong. So uh, it was it was a big deal for me when I saw that. I I was I was totally in love with it. Yeah, I, I, it's sweet. I don't have any of it right now. I just I'm kind of I'm going I'm kind of going through some different stuff right now. I. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Mike Geard is not important right now on this podcast. <laughs> but but yeah. uh, so let's talk. I know uh, I listened to one of your podcasts and you guys, we won't get into like the federal law. We don't, we won't get into it very deep, but I loved the one thing that you did say. Um, and it was, a, it was a good while ago. It was probably in one of your earlier podcasts. And you mm -hmm. said, you know, these birds, you know, they're, they're wild, they're wild animals. They, but they can get trained to go to certain spots and to certain places year after year if 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 there's food and resources for them and they're safe and you right. said and you and you said you know if we could do something and make something work out to to have you know these federal refugees that hold these ducks year after year and they come to the same refugees year after year if we could do something to change the hunting and flip-flop these refugees 
you know, every couple years or, or whatever the time period is. I just, I, when you said that, I'm like, what an idea, because it would open up more hunting opportunities. You wouldn't necessarily be training these ducks to go to this, these safe havens year after year. Right. So kind of ex expand, expand on that a little bit if you want. Um, but I just thought it was an awesome, awesome topic. Yeah, I, I think some of the refuges and, and, and what I've seen over the years is a lot of them go to these same spots and they know the line that, you know, you can hunt this side, but you can't hunt this side and every duck's piling in on that other side. And they're, right. and they're, there's not, they're not paying any attention because they, they have been programmed to go there each and every year and they're safe. And I, I get it. They do need their safe havens and there are places to where Arkansas is great. And, you know, they, they got these, the, the lakes that you can't hunt and, and they hold thousands of ducks, but it doesn't hold a great amount of food source for them. So they have to go into the food, which gives hunters an opportunity. Um, you know, so I think if they could rotate something, uh, some part of that, so these ducks are just not programmed to go to certain areas and gives us, gives us hunters a more opportunity there, especially the younger guys mainly, uh, that I feel like needs some, some type of success to keep coming and keep coming back. Right. Uh, but yeah, when you got millions of ducks sitting on these these places they got, and you, you're not allowed to go in there and hunt, it makes it frustrating. And ducks are smart. You know, once you start hunting that, then they'll start going to the other side. But it still creates some opportunity for us. And and uh, so to yeah. me, if they would do that, it sure would help us out. Even if you made a age limit, you know, even if you did start rotating them, and you just you made an age limit saying, you know, youth only. Just like you said, that yeah. would get that would might get them an opportunity to get on a successful hunt and and to and to have success maybe right off the bat, and then that would essentially get them kind of integrated in the waterfowl community and get them going more and more. And right. can, can and this is stretching it, but continue to buying licenses and continue to you know do right. do, do all that. So and, and you can create different seasons for that. You don't have to give them the full season. Maybe you give a two week there where you can right. go in and just there's a lot of creative things that guys can do that can help success for our younger guys and, and create help move some of these ducks around so we have more opportunities. And you know, if you take the state of Arkansas, which I love very much, they have great management program. Uh but you know to me, you gotta treat everybody as a whole. And, and one of the things, you know, they don't allow the spinning wing, which I don't use it anyways, very, maybe up north I do, but you, you allow the private land guy to use it, but you don't allow the public land guy to use it. So, you know, to me, if you're going to take it away, take it all away. And that's yeah. one of the things. That, and then, you know, they started these regulations too. It's not going to hurt a guy like me, but when you start putting dictations, when guys can come out of state and hunt your WMAs, I, I disagree with it. Look, you want to punish me? Hey, I'm 50 years old or older. Uh, you give me regular days, that's fine. But I think if you're a full-time college kid, because your days are limited anyways, because you got holidays, is the only time you got off, you're a full-time student. If you can prove that you're a full-time student, I feel like you should be able to go hunt those WMAs anytime you get ready to. Yep. And, and, and allow those kids to go in there because if they're an out-of-state kid, usually they got parents that got to go sit on the holidays. And, you know, then they got school, their time's limited. So when yep. you start limiting the days they come, you're just, that's who you're cutting out. Right. So I, if they're a certain age or under a certain age or they're a full-time college student uh, or even a high school student, um, I feel like those that, those guys are able to go hunt anytime they want to. And, uh, you know, I just think some of these stuff that we regulate, we just got to be smarter at because you're killing our youth. And that's, that's what we got to get to. We got to get back to these young guys and, you know, I like to see the 10 and 12 year old kids out there. I love it. I love to see the dads taking them. Right. Right. Well, we, and we talked about, we had a couple guys on the podcast, you know, Arkansas guys who obviously residents in Arkansas and coming over to Tennessee to either velvet hunt or coming to Turkey hunt. Right. And it's, and it, and it's kind of goes hand in hand. And, and they said themselves, you know, if it, it doesn't really make sense to residents. Maybe some, some of the older generation, maybe it would or, or whatever, but, you know, it doesn't really make sense because we come over and hunt your guys' WMAs for turkeys and deer. Right. I mean, Tennessee has phenomenal turkey hunting. A lot of people right. come here for it. And um, he's like, and, and they, most of them said, you know, we don't really, we don't really see why there's a difference in, in us going over to Tennessee and, and hunting your guys' WMAs whenever we want. And right. so I, I don't know if it's just a duck thing, but 
um, you know, it, I guess it is what it is for now. We need, we need, we need, we need right. someone in the waterfowl community to step up and do one, do raise their hand right. do one of those and go, right. go, go to the court. And, and we, and we do, and just all that regulation, even on this, you, you know, let your biologists, hey, lead it. Say, hey, let's open this up for two weeks. Let's do it for the youth program, college students. Let them come in and do it. Uh, just get them hooked. Uh, maybe maybe it's one of those things, how you bring a first-time hunter with you. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that we can do in a waterfowl that really captures somebody. And like I was saying earlier, you know, it's good to see the dads taking the 9- and 10-year-olds out there, but they don't have a driver's license yet. So they're only going to be able to go when they can, you know, and that's probably once or twice a year. But these guys who got driver's license can board the license and get out with their buddies that's never been. Those are the guys we need to be reaching out to because those are the guys that has the opportunity to drive back the next day and and, and continue to do it. And so uh, those are the guys I, I like to, you know, focus on a lot because those are the guys, if we can get in at you guys' age, when you become dads, yeah, you're going to take your son or your daughter. But also, you know, you want to reach those guys that, like me, when I was y'all's age, I didn't have that. But once I started, I loved it. And I just want to create opportunities more for those guys. And I think those are, that's one of, the, one of the ways we can do that. Oh, Dr. Duck, I'll meet you in Colorado at the Federal Wildlife Office. And we'll get matching tuxedos and go in front of the judge and, yeah. state, and, and, and state, our, state our reasoning why. And then we'll probably look at each other and say the tuxedos were a little, little messed up. I don't know why, well, I don't yeah, know why we wore tuxedos in here. They would probably run us out. So. They, probably, they probably would. They probably would. Well, but, Gary, Gary, but, do you go? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. But I, I, you know, I'd still would like to have that opportunity, you know, just to talk to them about it. I mean, it's you know, we got we got smart guys that's out there that's, that's running these habitats. They know what kind of pressure they can take and what they can't take. Mm-hmm. And I, those are the guys we need to be listening to. And you know, when you got a hundred thousand ducks sitting in a place and they're not moving. I mean, it's, you know, and you got guys out here is not having any success. It just, to me, I think you can create that some form. And, I, I, you know, you can, you can do it by draws like some people do. You can put in draws for it. They can get real creative and let them go in there. Maybe it's just a, you know, a two-weekend or a three-weekend deal out of a year. But you still can create that atmosphere for them to, to, to go in there and have great success and, and, and feel like, you know, hey, it's a private land hunt. You know, they'll get a taste of that, and, and hopefully it grows up fire in them and they continue to do it. But yeah. I, I, there's a lot of creative things that we can do, and, and, and we can make things better for our younger generation. It's probably too late for me, but I would. my goal is is trying to make it better for the, the next generation. Well, just, just root for Gary and I when we go to Colorado. Uh, I'll send you. I'll send you. I'll, I'll send you a text and let you know how it goes. Well, Gary, 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 Gary and I will make a PowerPoint, and it'll be it'll be a very professional PowerPoint, and it'll it'll it'll, it'll say sponsored by Little Debbie's. Oh, that'll be awesome. <laughs> Gary, you got one? one. Yeah, I just got one last thing that I want to ask you, and then we could wrap this all up and whatnot. Um, I heard, I think it was, I think I heard Phil Robertson say it. He, he's from Duck Dynasty, and I yeah. mean, Phil isn't on anymore. I but. think he knows who Phil Robertson is. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Well, I don't yeah. know if he watches <laughs> Duck Dynasty or not. This, you know, yeah. guys got guys yeah. got a beard. Yeah. Guys got a beard just yeah. like him. I got a lot. Of, I got a lot of respect for Phil. I think he's done a lot for for a lot of guys. I think he he was one of those guys. I think he had the most influence ever about getting people out to waterfowl hunt. I think my generation, and I said it a thousand times, and I'll continue to say it to the day I die, we didn't do a good enough job embracing it. Uh, we should have opened our arms up to those guys and really took the time to teach them. Uh, you know, we take the time to teach other sports like basketball, the rules of basketball, the rules of baseball, rules of football. But I felt like, you know, hunting is, is the same way. Uh, there's ethics to it. And we didn't do a great – a great job of, of teaching those guys that got saw him thought it was cool and came out there and uh, so I got a lot of respect for him for doing that and I think if we would have done a better job and followed up behind him embracing these guys uh, I think waterfowl would be even better today yeah I think they definitely did get like a little bit of hate or a little bit of resilient to them you know yeah. they were like ah oh, who you know who does he think he is or the whole family or whatever right I remember him saying um, a statistic he said 10% of ducks, or it must have been uh, ducks that hatched in Canada, only 10% ever make it down to the United States border. And then it way less as you make it further south. Right. It, ha- have you heard that stat before? I mean, that's, that's mind-blowing. 
Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen that stat, but if he said that, I have to believe him. He's a pretty honest guy, and, and you know the thing is, he he talks about the same thing I talk about sometimes is those refuges that you're not allowed to go in and hunt. They do hold a lot of ducks, and those ducks don't move. Uh, they fly from one side of the refuge to the other, and and uh, it you know and it holds up a lot of numbers from the south coming down here. Uh, you know, to me, they, they they mess with the migration just a little bit. And which is fine. I understand the whole the whole deal of it. I understand we got to protect our numbers, but um, and I get it. But w there's also has to be a balance too to make better opportunities for our waterfowl hunters as well. Because both there could be a better way of doing it. Yeah, and I think and, and I think they got it in hand. I just think you know uh, I think they can open up some doors. I think they need to let their biologists have more say in it, saying hey, we can do a two week or three week deal, or maybe we need we can open up the season here on this refuge, let's close the season down on this one. Let's flip flop this and, or, you know, do it, do it slowly, maybe half the year on this side and shut it back down. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of guys that are well-educated that can make those calls for us and, and, and create better, better waterfowl hunting for everybody. Gotcha. You know, uh, if you take uh, if you take state of Oklahoma there for a while, I was impressed with the way they've done things just to give you an idea of what they do. Sometimes they'll take two or three lakes in their state. They'll actually drop it three foot, take a plane, fly around the edge, and drop millet seed for it, and then they'll raise it up another three foot. Just anything like that that creates habitat, better habitat for our public land waterfowl guys is even better, and you, you can have great success in that state as well. And and so, uh, you know, Texas to me is a horn state. You know, they care about the horns. I feel like I, my home state can do a lot better as well around here as well. We donate a lot of money, and it just seems sometimes it gets frustrating. They don't, and maybe they do, but I don't. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen the return on it. It usually goes somewhere else. So yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I, I'm a big waterfowl guy, and I want to push to make things better. But I don't want to get greedy and kill a bunch of birds too. But I also want to create better habitat, better success for our waterfowl hunters. Yeah, yeah, especially the youth to keep them going because they're, you know, they're the next generation that's coming that's right. even, even, even behind Gary and us. Um, that's right. I got one question. It's going to be a little, it's going to be a little outside kind of what we're talking about. If you don't answer, you don't have to, but you're a pretty no. humble, you're a pretty humble guy. Everyone can kind of tell from the podcast to your, just your Instagram and obviously just talking to you tonight, you're a humble, humble guy for, for even the amount of success that you had. Has there ever been a point on, on public land where, you know, and you always try to, you know, have, you know, more the merrier. Uh, it's all, you know, you go up and shake someone's hand. If you had a bad hunt and they had a good one, you congratulate them because that's what it's about. But have you ever had someone that you raced to a hole and that you were there first or even at a boat ramp or something and then, and they, and he was just acting like the biggest dickhead. And have you ever got into it with someone? Because I know stuff gets hairy especially yeah. down in Arkansas. I know it gets hairy yeah. and people get ticked off in a heartbeat. Well, to, to me, uh, I have had some, you know, some altercations and stuff, but not, not so bad to where I let it, I always try to remain high and, you know, stay above that. And, right. and, you know, of course you've seen one of the videos we did, one guy set up right beside us. Hey, and all I did was ask him, Hey, just don't shoot our swings. Cause he, he did go down. He was down, down to shoot our, our swings right there. But, uh, he, but honestly, it turned out fine. Uh, he didn't shoot our swings and he respected that and it worked out great. Not all the time does it work out that way. But the thing I always remind myself, it's only one day. Guess what? There's another day tomorrow and it gives you an opportunity to have that great. You just learn from it. Cause I think at the end of the day, if we're fighting amongst ourselves, it's the wrong thing to do. Uh, I, you know, we need to be fighting for each other because we got enough people outside the circle that's trying to take our rights away every day. And so if we're fighting amongst ourselves and we're distracted from the big picture, then we're not seeing the, we're not seeing the, the, the final target, which trying, we're trying to make this thing grow bigger. But yeah, you do got some guys that's, you know, has been rude to me, uh, been rude to me in Arkansas, uh, been rude a little bit at the boat ramps and, and, but man, Hey, you just got to take that with a grain of salt. Yeah. You got to pray for them. And, you know, had some guys over Instagram, they'll send me some rude messages, but Hey, it's, it's one out of a, you know, out of two or three hundred, because I, I I always always reflect on the positive. So the I'll get three hundred positive DMs and questions versus one uh, one guy that's mad at the world for some reason. Yeah, just uh, absolute absolute yeah. psychopaths. Yeah, 
don't, yeah, don't, you, don't you, have time you, for you, buddy. Yeah, you, you can't fix those guys. And, you know, <laughs> you just have to you have to look and above that and, and strive on and hey, pray for them. I let them know, hey, man, I, I listen. This is my point of view. I respect your point of view. I pray for you to see mine. You know, because a lot of these guys really hated that I was giving this information over podcasts and we're doing our videos and look. And it's like I was telling them, you know, you, you probably took time to teach your son baseball. You're taking time to teach your son to, to duck hunt. Listen, a lot of these guys don't have that dad. And it's all, you know, if we're going to make this, if we're passing it on to the next generation, let's mean what we say. Let's pass it on to the next generation. It don't have to be your son or your daughter. Right. It, everybody, everybody uh, deserves the right to learn how to waterfowl hunt. Yeah. And that's all I'm trying to do. And, you know, and they want to complain about the guy that didn't know the ethics that set up close to him. Well, maybe he didn't know. And what's 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 the problem inviting that guy in to hunt with you? And you can you can you have that opportunity there not to talk down to him, but figure out what he knows about waterfowl. Ask him questions about waterfowl and say, hey, this is the way I do things. What do you think? Right. You know, let them be part of the conversation. Don't sit there and preach to them. Hey, this is the way you do it. Let them be involved in that conversation. And, and a lot of these younger guys will take the time to listen when you do that. When you let them involved and say, you set out a spread and say, what do you think? Is there something you want to change? Let them be a part of it and say, hey, if they move a couple of decoys, hey, be fine with it. Right. Okay, let's try it, you know? So I just, that's the, that's, the, that's the goal that I would like to get to and see see everybody do as a waterfowl hunter. Yeah, I got you. That's an awesome message. I'm gonna, I've got one more thing. I'm going to put you on the spot, and we usually do this to all of our okay. guests. Do you have, okay. you, I, I, and I haven't shared a duck hole with you. Hopefully one day we can okay. change that. Um, I would be awesome. But had, do like, what's a go? Like, do you have a go-to story like that? You just eat like a, a good story, either like you and Billy, or just a road story, or something that funny that's happened, or or just a good hunting story, or guiding story, whatever it is. I'm gonna put you on the spot. If you don't have one, that's okay. We'll just we'll just no, have, to, I, have to do it. We we'll have to do it in the duck hole. No, I, I tell you, you know, I back on this, and I and I never laughed so hard in my entire life. Me and Billy has hunted this hole for years. And actually, I got my tree. I stand beside out there on this certain place. And every once in a while, it dries up, and you actually can't get a boat in there. And it's actually, it's it's a deep creek. It's actually, it's very deep. And there's the bank. And so we, we, we come around there, and so we know he's going to have to walk in there. And for some reason, I don't know what he was thinking that morning, I pull up, you know how you run the boat up on the land, the uh -huh. nose up, to stick it. So I'm sitting there at the back of the boat. He gets up, putting his waiter, kind of put, strapping up his waiter and all that. And he's about more than halfway towards me. Instead of going to the end of the nose of the boat, jumping on dry ground, he jumps off the side of the boat and he disappears. And I'm, and I'm sitting there looking like, where did he go? And all I can see, and he bobs back up. And then he looks and he goes right back down. <laughs> and anyway, he was there for a minute. So I reached out, grab him, pull him back in the boat. And I'm telling you this morning, that morning we was there, it was like freezing cold. It was down in the 20s. And I said, Billy, I, I love you, son, but we're going to hunt this morning because that hole was loaded up. <laughs> and I said, we ain't missing this one. <laughs> I got to give him credit. He toughed it out. We, we shot our limit. He was lucky that morning. We shot our limit. We was out of there in no time. But, but I wasn't going back to the boat ramp. And that was one of the dumbest moves I ever seen him make. And I still laugh at, at him. And we still talk about that moment all the time. And he still can't justify what he was thinking when he did that. And it's not like it was his first time. It was like his 110th time to be in that same spot, you know. Uh, it was it was pretty funny. And we talked about it. And, and uh, But, yeah, the, it's a lot of good moments. I've, I've been blessed to have – I've hunted with him for 25, 30 years or whatever. But – I've been blessed to hunt with him for years and years and more years to go. And, and uh, you know, he's probably the only guy that really could put up with me. So I've been blessed to have him. We have a lot of good memories and, and uh, we, we shared a lot of great times in the woods. So it's, it's been a blessing. That's awesome. Well, man, I appreciate you coming on. Like, uh, I mean, we've talked very spotty over the last couple of years that we follow each other on Instagram and whatnot. I appreciate everything you do, all the videos you put out. It, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot of work. I don't know how much work it is, but I can only imagine how much work it is doing that and juggling uh, your business as well. Um, both yes. those are full-time jobs. So um, I appreciate everything you put out and I know a lot of other people do. So thanks for coming on. Uh, Gary, you got anything for him, man? 
Just thank you very much for coming on. You know, I love talking to you. You're a very good guy, very humble guy, and your knowledge is is well beyond me and Hunter. And so it's just it was uh, it was good to hear from you and hear what you got to say, especially about freelance hunter hunting new spots and stuff. So yeah, uh, well, I appreciate I appreciate it, guys, and I appreciate the opportunity to sit down with anybody and, and sitting down and just talking waterfowl and, and having me on is is an honor to me to be on y'all's podcast and. Uh, and thank you for all the kind words and support. It means the world to me. And and like I said, if there's anything I can do for you guys now or in the future, you guys just let me know. and I'll do all I can. So, and that goes for anybody. I appreciate it. Well, when you're in Arkansas, let me know. And uh, let's go try to hunt a hole together one morning. Oh, I'd love to. We, we got to take a chance on the opportunity. You got my phone number. Reach out to me and, and we'll see if we can't make this thing happen. All right, man. Well, y'all, this will be out Friday and uh, hope you guys have a good weekend. Teal season's coming in. So duck season is on its way. Stay tuned for more episodes of the Guide Series podcast.